Hey everyone, my name is Jim Gast and uh, I welcome you to No Law From Left Behind. If you're listening or watching, uh, I, I'm really excited. Today I'm joined with someone I have been following on LinkedIn for a long time. Uh, Claire, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Really good. Really good. So uh, Claire, you know, you know, I I always start off the show by just kind of giving a real quick, right? Um, but I always let my guests introduce themselves. And I know that you probably won't. I, nobody likes to be put on the spot on, hey, this is who I am and stuff like that. Would you mind just telling everybody who you are, what you do, where you're at? Yeah. So uh, I'm actually not at my office right now. I'm at the Northern Kentucky Chamber. I am here for the Women's Initiative uh, retreat today. I've been involved with the Women's Initiative for more than 10 years. It's a great organization, um, but somebody is lending me their desk to go do this recording. Um, I'm an attorney at Wooden Lamping in Cincinnati, um, and I am brand new to that firm. I was at a Northern Kentucky firm for a while, and I decided to jump across the river, and I focus my practice in local government, litigation, and labor and employment law. Are you an Ohioan or a Kentuckian? I am a Kentuckian. I mean, that's how I would honestly have to answer that question. But uh, Northern Kentucky is so affiliated with Cincinnati that yeah. I would also say I'm I'm a Cincinnatian too because we're a region and we need to, the more we act like it, the better off we all do. You're so right. You're so right. Well, listen, you know, I want to dive right into this. I don't know how long we're going to be today, Claire, but, um, you know, what just really drawn me to have you on the show is exactly what we said just a little bit ago behind the scenes. Um, you know, the direction that no law from left behind is taking is really a wellness type of thing, volunteering thing. We're not talking about the, you know, we're not talking about great success. We're not talking about law stuff. I mean, we're really talking about how lawyers can improve their lives and their careers and the people that they serve as well through a lot of different efforts. And today we're going to talk about mindfulness, wellness, meditation, right? And so I really kind of think you're the expert on this area. You're, you're in the process of writing a couple books. Yes. And so I should have, I guess, said this when you asked me who I am. So I'm also a weird thing about me is that a couple years in my practice, I started meditating um, and it changed my life so substantially that I actually started speaking for the first time for the Northern Kentucky Chamber Women's Initiative at their summit. I spoke on mindfulness. I'd never talked about it before, but people were bringing chairs in the room. It was a big deal. Like I knew what I was doing. Um, and then it sort of turned into this thing. I started doing CLEs um, for groups I was in and then it grew. Uh, then during the pandemic, it really exploded and um, there was so much demand for it. I ended up getting a meditation teacher certification. Then I got a yoga teacher certification to add on a new understanding I am working on a compassion educator uh, certification right now. Um, and one of the things that I've also done is I founded the Brilliant Legal Mind blog, where I write about meditation, offer resources, meditations all the time. Um, and then I always wanted to write a book. So I am working on now two books because I wrote a manuscript that was way too long. And my coach told me to split it up. So the first one is going to be mindfulness and compassion for badass lawyers. At least that's the title I'm working with right now, where I'm going to teach you how to meditate and also incorporate compassion into that because that's a little overlooked. And then the second book I think is going to be focused on self-compassion for lawyers because that is something that really helps if you're dealing with stress and risk, but a lot of lawyers kind of struggle with. And frankly, most people struggle with self-compassion. And so just teaching about those things um, so people can get a better handle on them. Uh, you know what? Um, by the way, I just want everybody to know, none of this is scripted. Claire and I have never met. Today's the first time we've been introduced. We met like 10 minutes ago, right? Um, and, and so I got to tell you what, 
I'm always impressed by the people I have on the show with the number of things that they do. I mean, you're a mom, right? Two beautiful daughters, right? Mm-hmm. How old are yep. they again? Six and 10. And those are some serious, you know, attention needy ages, right? I mean, you just can't like, it's not an autopilot, right? You're writing a book. You got two daughters, obviously. You're a lawyer. When do you find time to practice law? I mean, I practice. I mean, you don't, you don't do all these things at once, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and the other thing is like, I'm also a woman who has a husband that helps her. um, And I ask my husband to help her. Actually, the fact that we have girls is kind of instrumental in that because I remind my husband that, hey, you know, girls that have active fathers at home are more likely to find that in their own spouse when they get married and have more professional success. So that's actually really helped in talking to him about that. I've also got parents close by that kind of support me. My parents are both lawyers and so they understand what it's like. Um, And so they help me a lot, but you don't do all this at once. You, you know, sort of the balancing, the shifting back and forth really helps me because um, law practice and litigation uses one part of my brain and one part of my personality. And then the meditation training and that teaching and that writing, it's a totally different thing. Controlled and not be so guided by a goal um, and get to use a different part of my personality. So I find that the whole collection of it sort of reinforces it itself and and keeps the momentum going. Well, so, you know, I've never really thought about it like this, but it's a lot of EQ, IQ, a lot of left brain, right brain, you know, a lot of just interesting things that challenge both sides. And you call it your personality. I I mean, really, to me, it's it's left and right brain stuff, right? You're exercising Mm -hmm. both sides all the time. And I don't think enough people think of that. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about mindfulness and meditation and how, and compassion, by the way, compassion is an important word to me, by the way, uh, because you, you got to be compassionate to yourself and you got to be compassionate to others. Um, sidebar, you know, this is a show isn't about me, but I use some examples. Our team here at SpliceNet, I tell them to be compassionate to the people that we're serving, right? And said, so you never know what that lawyer or legal, legal administrator or whatever is doing. You know, maybe they're trying to do payroll. They can't do payroll. And we're fixing payroll for them. You just don't know what's on their mind and how they're stressing out or how somebody else is stressing them out because they can't get the payroll done. You know, and then they got to take that home at night. So we have to be compassionate about that. Is that the kind of compassion you're talking about for lawyers? Yeah. So when I talk about compassion, I'm I'm really talking about the clinical definition of the term. Um, So now most like meditation teachers will talk about compassion and kindness and things, and it's, it's consistent, but this stuff has actually been studied in clinical settings. So we do have some definitions that kind of help us get an idea of what we're talking about. So compassion is the presence with suffering and that's any kind of suffering, any kind of difficulty or something in life that's not satisfactory, anything that would kind of make you get, you know, react to it. Right. But maintaining the willingness to help. Okay. So that differentiates it from empathy. Empathy is just feeling a a pain from someone else. Right. And you're kind of lost in your own experience with empathy, but compassion is you see that suffering and you believe you can do something and then you're willing to. Now, in all cases, you don't have to do something. That's not essential for the compassion response. A lot of times you end up doing something because you feel compassion and you do act. And that's why it's beneficial and pro-social. Um, but when you have this compassion response, the body actually rewards you with feelings of connection and satisfaction. You get a warm afterglow when you experience it, even if you've dealt with something very stressful. 
And so why it really matters to mindfulness is compassion and mindfulness sort of work together. Mindfulness is the awareness and you can't have compassion without awareness, right? You have to be aware of a suffering to be able to respond to it. Uh, But you also can't really have mindfulness without compassion to some degree, at least not true mindfulness, because it's one thing to be aware when things are calm and relatively stable. But when things start to become stressful or difficult, that's when the compassion kind of kicks in to help you actually see what's there, to actually help you tolerate it and be with it. Because when we have a stressful situation, the mind and the body don't really want to be present with it. We want to fight, flight or freeze, you know, check out from it. And so compassion and mindfulness work together. Now, my experience with working with lawyers and teaching mindfulness is we're comfortable with mindfulness. We like the mindfulness because we use our minds all the time. We're rational. We like the idea that we can be sort of in control and be calm. But it's the compassion and that kindness piece that we're less comfortable with. But that's what we need because that's what we're dealing with all the time is stress and risk and difficulty and maybe bad behavior. And so doing our best and controlling our response to that, at least managing that a little bit better, will help us not just be kinder, but more effective. And also, I think, ultimately, in the end, happier. Mm-hmm. So lawyers are dealing with people's problems all day long. OK. And and, and we talked about this before. Um, how, how does this help an attorney who is dealing with somebody's per- problems all day long, who have has been mindful and compassionate? And has decided to take this on, willing to take this on, whatever challenge that is that that person brings to them, but ultimately has a failure in that. How does that, how how can you help a lawyer deal and cope with that? Yeah. And so I think one thing is, is it really a failure? I mean, Mm -hmm. I think we, we sometimes get, lawyers get so goal oriented about what we're doing and we have objectives for clients and obviously clients have demands and needs, but when they bring us a risky situation, It's not like we can necessarily just wave a magic wand and really control everything. You know, I have done defense litigation for a lot of my career. I don't get to pick my cases. Like I don't, they come to me after the situation already happened. I can't go back and change things. So maybe I don't get summary judgment, but I get a good settlement at the end. And, you know, I've managed the problem. It's just, I have to, you know, reframe sometimes what counts as a failure and what doesn't. So that's one thing is checking those assumptions and those thoughts Another piece is um, recognizing, you know, what we control and what we don't. Mm -hmm. And I think another piece is then, you know, just the self-kindness that comes in, that the reason that clients ask their lawyers how many years they've been practicing and the reason experience matters is because we learn from failure or we learn from setbacks. But we only learn from that when we can forgive ourselves and look back with some level of clarity after the situation has happened. So it absolutely comes into play for all of those things. Um, And it matters, but it maybe has different components and phases to it in terms of how it actually can work. Mm -hmm. Have you seen attorneys that have not practiced this start practicing, right? And have you seen results from people being more mindful, more compassionate to themselves and and in their in their situations with, with clients? Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's my story. Yeah. I mean, that's my story. Yeah. I mean, I, um, and Jill has left a comment, so I'm going to answer it. Oh, I didn't even see it. Sorry. Sorry about that. No, I can answer it and and also answer your question. So she asked what kind of meditation I've generally done. Um, the pasana, um, which is just awareness meditation. So generally sitting, focusing on breath, being aware of what comes up. 
I've also done some Zen um, retreats and things like that. Um, and I've also been very influenced just by like secular um, meditation strategies that come from science. Uh, Jill has talked about TM and I've also talked to some other lawyers that have benefited from TM. I don't like mantra as much as I am a word person and a writer. Mantra is just not my thing. So I've never been able to do it. Um, but I've heard some great things about people benefiting from TM, which is picking a focal point, often a word um, that, you know, that also is the same idea. You can really meditate on any focal point. But yeah, I mean, my experience um, early in law practice was that I struggled so much with overthinking. I was incredibly hard on myself. Um, I, could, I really had no skills for dealing with any kind of setback. I would try to control everything. And the place where it really came to a head for me was I had my first daughter and she was IUGR, which means she was little and we didn't know why. Now, my daughter is small and it turns out my mother-in-law was five foot tall. And so my daughter looks just like me, but she's tiny and I'm 5'11". So when she was small, I was like, what happened? What, you know, how did this possibly happen? I was thrown for a loop and it just basically, I internalized it, blamed myself. Then she was born and I couldn't breastfeed her. Now she was tongue tied. I didn't know that. Um, so she was tongue tied and we couldn't breastfeed her. But again, I blamed myself for it and I just fell apart. I mean, I, I was crying all the time. I couldn't handle it. And eventually I, you know, went to therapy, got medication stabilized. When I came back to law practice, I was heading into a wrongful death trial as a new mom. My daughter still wasn't sleeping and I had read about meditation and I didn't know if it would work or not. I just sat down and started doing it one or two minutes at a time because that's all I could handle. And amazingly, it worked. Um, the first thing that happened was like physical pain and side effects of stress started to diminish. And so I would meditate to get rid of a headache, not to like be a better person. Right. But then ultimately, that's what happened because the overthinking went away. I stopped rushing and I started to notice people around me and notice like how what I did, notice how I affected them. Um, and I just became a kinder, better person. That's not to say I'm a saint and I never do anything wrong because I totally do. But like now I, because I am more self-compassionate, I can just say, Hey, you screwed that up or Hey, you didn't quite, you know, act your best in that case. And I can say I was wrong and I'm sorry, which was painful to do before. Mm -hmm. And now it's just, it's not quite as painful. And so that's, that's how it works. It's not necessarily overnight, but it slowly and gradually starts to shift the way you respond to life. It doesn't change you. It changes your response. And that allows who you really are to come out. So, so meditation is a, is a very specific, there are different types, but it's a very specific exercise, right? I mean, it's not just something you could just say, oh, I'm going to meditate and just do it. I mean, typically you need somebody to train you. You need some resources for this, but let me ask you this. And, and, and I see you write a lot and you, you talk about writing a whole lot. Can writing be a, a form of meditation? Is that a form of meditation for you potentially? I don't know that I would say it's a meditation and I've actually okay. written about like, is my, is the hobby that I love the same as meditation? I don't it, know that it's the same thing yeah. um, because like the practice of meditation and literally doing nothing, I think there's really, there's, there's research that kind of says there's some magic to that specifically. And especially with our do, do, do productivity based kind of culture, literally doing nothing um, is really beneficial. And I just would mm. say creating that space but one of the side effects and wonderful benefits of my meditation practice was 
it allowed me to see that some of my thoughts were actually good ones. So some of what meditation does is that it you you realize your thinking. And so then you can say, oh, wait, is this a stupid thought? Is this a junk thought? Or is this something I can just get rid of? Or is this like maybe something I actually need to respond to or do something with? And so for me, a lot of it was realizing, oh, this is a stupid thought. I can let go of this. Uh, but one of the things I started to notice was, hey, I'm having this idea and it's recurring and it keeps kind of rumbling around in my head and I could just let it go. And so when I meditate now, I usually just sit and I kind of like let the thoughts and everything kind of expand, sort of like open gym, right? All the thoughts come out to play and I just don't have to do anything with them. Right. And that's when I realized, oh, those are ideas for articles or to a blog post or a LinkedIn post. And then I started to actually write them. And so for me, I kind of have to put them out in the world and actually publish them to let them go. Um, but because of that, I've, you know, expanded my LinkedIn network. I've, you know, helped my law practice. I have, you know, this blog and books and things like that. Um, so yeah, writing is one way of, uh, uh, it, it could be considered a mindfulness, um, approach or mindfulness exercise. It's another way to be aware of your thoughts but like many people, especially lawyers, when the way we write is very goal oriented and directed. So what I would say is if you want to try writing in a mindful way is to instead like set a designated period of time, just write and let whatever comes out. If you have to do nonsense mm. words at the beginning to get yourself started, that's fine. Just write, then save the file or even throw it away. Who cares? Um, just come back to it later. And see it separately yeah. because the thing that has helped me with my writing is writing, letting it sit, then come back and editing later because mm -hmm. that control and that wanting to edit that will kind of affect your thoughts as they come out. But if you do it the right way, I think it could be a mindfulness exercise. So it sounds like for you though, your writing is more of a result of your meditation. It's the, it's the outward expression of what has happened during meditation. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I think also just creating the space yeah. has even allowed it to come up because before it was just a jumble of thoughts um, and, you know, mm -hmm. almost a clog of thoughts even. So kind of letting it flow more has turned it into actual content. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's been just a really kind of fun, eye-opening experience and it's actually helped me. I, I do think like when I have, I've spoken to a lot of lawyers and many say that they would want to do more writing or more creative things. And if you want to do something for your mental health, I would just say like meditation is the one thing I'd recommend. And the second thing is do something creative, go make something. It doesn't matter if it's ugly and nobody cares. It's not, it's beautiful and it will really help it you. Is, it is. Uh, listen, uh, I was an artist early on. I still, I still fancy, you know, different mediums. And, uh, and it doesn't matter what it is. It's creative, right? It's fun now, but I want to kind of circle back. I run. Okay. And everybody says, you know, how do you, I, and, and I can go out and do run six miles, seven miles, whatever. Right. And oh, hold on. We've got a, we've got a question from Jill again. So Claire is asking, uh, you might enjoy, uh, enjoy joining mindful Valley site where, okay. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a good, that's a good advice. Thanks a lot, Joe. We really appreciate that. Um, so my running, everybody says, what's it like? How can you do that? And I said, well, I said, just sit there for like 30 seconds or, and do or say, and try not to think about anything. Right. I said, that's running. And I said, I, I feel at 
most at peace in my life. Don't get me wrong. I love everything about my life, my family, my kids, but mentally I'm at peace when I'm running. Yeah. I might be, you know, using my muscles, but for some reason that feels like a meditation to me. When when you say, I need to ask you this. When you say you, you, you try not to think, what are you actually doing though? Cause trying not to think you'll just just think. I just release everything. Where do you go though? Um, Usually I have focus on your body or what? No, I just focus on, I honestly, my body goes into autopilot when I run. I, I don't even realize the effort that it takes. It's not even an effort anymore. It's just an autopilot muscle memory thing, right? Um, I can also say that, you know, I, I listen to music when I do it. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an old school rapper, old school rocker guy, right? You know, I can listen to ACDC one minute, Beastie Boys the next minute, and Cool Modi the next minute, right? But it starts to just kind of go away and I don't even hear it after, after a certain period of time. I mean, I, I know it's there, don't get me wrong, consciously. But I, it kind of just fades. Is is that a meditation of sorts? I think it is. I would probably say like you probably have done it so long that the habit is such that you've got all the conditions needed to support getting into like a flow state. So it sounds like that's like a mindfulness experience. But like right now when I meditate, I usually just sit. I don't. Okay, I don't yeah. need to do very much. Like I almost don't need to even do breath practice or body scan very much, even to get settled. I just literally. We're losing you there a little bit, Claire. Hold on, we're losing you a little bit there, Claire. Sorry about that, everyone. I think we got you back. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, like after you do it so long, the habit sort of takes over and Mm. you don't have to think and you do just let go. And the letting go is really a piece that you could learn from a meditation practice, but you can learn it elsewhere as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say, like, physical fitness is something that I think is really also important. And, you know, I do have a blog post where um, I interviewed a lawyer named Hale Stewart uh, from Ohio, who, um, uh, who really insurance guy who does like a body scan kind of practice Mm -hmm. when he exercises and that is his meditation practice. So there's lots of ways you can do it. Um, but I think part of this, like letting go and surrender piece, it's something that a lot of lawyers can benefit from. And however you find that, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's great. I actually do that. I think I do exercise in it. I, it matters to me. I use my mindfulness to keep myself calm when it's hard. But like the letting go piece, I think I get that more when I cook. Um, I like cooking hmm. and I've done it for, you know, since I was a kid. And I almost never use recipes because I don't have to. I just go in the kitchen. It's like, what do I have to use up? What's about to go bad that I need to cook so I don't have to throw it away. And so I just kind of come up with stuff and that's where I get more of a flow. And that's got sensory stuff. That's got, you know, I have to use my mind creatively and play a little bit, but I think that's kind of similar to what you're talking about. Zucchini, chocolate zucchini brownies for the off. I love that post. If, if, if everyone, if you're watching or listening, go look up Claire, go look up at her activity on LinkedIn and look at the chocolate zucchini brownies. Is that what that was? Chocolate zucchini brownies. I mean, but it has a vegetable so you can feel good about it. <laughs> and I love how you tied in the social norms with it. You know what I mean? You know, uh, breaking the social norm barrier. Yeah, you know, women bringing food in the office, and you know, the the whole, the, the yeah, it's 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 you know, maybe frowned on in some some areas, but I still value that. And why do I value that? Because you know, I care about the people that I'm around. Is is that what you were trying to get out on that post? 
Yeah. I mean, I'm actually to some degree, like I'm new at my office. So, you know, reminding people that I'm there and like saying hi, you know, it was kind of tactically helpful. Um, But the truth is I had a giant zucchini and I wanted to use it. And I I am adamantly opposed to food waste. I hate it. Yeah, I, I I like creatively come up with things with all my leftovers because I do not want to throw food away. You need to um, come over to my house and talk to my kids. They won't eat leftovers yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I hate food waste and I did not want it to go yeah. to waste. And I already like made two at my house, um, which my kid my kids ate, but like I needed to get rid of another zucchini bread. That's what happens in the summer, you know. Yeah. Zucchini. I'm the guy, listen, I'm the guy that looks at the expiration date. And I'm thinking this, 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 whatever it is, it's going to go bad. Can I eat it? It's, it's two days past the expiration. If I don't eat it, it goes in the garbage. Oh, what do I do on that guy? I hate food waste too. Well, listen, Claire, you know what? You've got to get back to what, you, what you're doing there. And uh, I really appreciate you being on the show. So uh, real quick, everyone, um, is it okay to put your contact information up on the screen for everyone, Claire? If they want to, what they want to reach out to you and try to try to get uh you speak for you for them or uh maybe even you know yeah so the best way to get me is my linkedin profile you can Mm -hmm. find me on linkedin at claire e parsons or go to my blog brilliantlegalmind.com and we are on all of social media channels linkedin is probably the easiest one for you to find if you find me um either on the blog or on linkedin that's probably the best way to reach out yeah, yeah, Claire, you're fantastic. Sit tight, though. Everyone, listen. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna end the show, but before I do, always, if you're if you're watching the show, you're probably in the legal industry. I hope. If you're not, well, you know that's okay. We really appreciate watching still. But we have a fantastic group on on uh, on LinkedIn called No Law From Left Behind. It's an exclusive group for legal professionals, lawyers, so on and so forth. Um, no advertising, no marketing. We just put the shows there and exchange dialogue and, and concepts and things of that nature. Please, by all means, go, uh, go find it on LinkedIn and become a member if you're a legal professional. Second, um, we're on every Tuesday at 1030 Eastern time. So uh, you can tune in and we publish the shows to podcast, Apple, Spotify, so on and so forth. Uh, after the show is over, we're not live on those, but Claire, have you gotten a copy of that by, by chance? I don't know that I have. Please excuse, please excuse the horrible crew cut looking crop job on my hair. <laughs> it, it, somehow that white background cropped it out really bad. But listen, we're putting out a bi-monthly magazine called No Law From Left Behind. If you want on the distribution, please, by all means, just private message me or send me a message on any forum that you can find me on and uh, we'll get it out to you. But this month it is Magic Johnson, I think, is on the cover. So last month was Robert Hershevac. Listen, Claire, it was fantastic to finally meet you and finally have you on the show. Um, we talked about possibly doing a roundtable. All right. Just so let me know. Uh, we'll, we'll get that published out. Claire, thank you again, everyone. Thanks a lot. Take care, everyone. See you next week.